Good evening, everyone. <laughs> uh, we have the. I'm I'm speaking from the Bhikkhu Vihara in Tisarana, in the Bhikkhu Library, and we have uh, quite a few members of our sangha here this evening. Uh, Venerable Kema, Venerable Ruchiro, Venerable Spirimedo, Venerable Vipassi, Anagarka Gabriel, Arinda, and Richard. So we have a nice nice group together to chant together. So as we've been doing on these uh, meetings, let's let's begin with chanting Itipiso um, three times together. I think most of you know it. Uh, and then we'll get into into the program. So please join us in, in the chanting. <clears throat> Iti piso bhagavara antamma sampurso vicha charana sampano asurato loka vidu anuttaro purita dhamma sarasitata Bhagavad Gita, Bhagavad 
skill we develop by using a, an object of meditation is a skill that should uh, carry on outside of the meditation period throughout life all the time. So a quality of attention, a quality of awareness, then is something that's not dependent on the breath or on metta bhavana or, or what else. It's something that uh, is, is irrespective of that. But if we don't have an object, then we can wander a lot. So if we use the body, uh, we use the breath, or we use bodily sensation as a way of, first of all, being present. And that's, that's the sort of uh, fundamental intention we need to make, is to be present to the way things are. And that's difficult in itself. So the, the intention then as you start meditation is to abandon thoughts of the past and not pick up thoughts of the future. It'll happen, obviously it'll happen, and it's not a matter of repressing it, it's simply making a strong intention not to go there. And if you make that strong intention, that helps you to remember. But the habit of past, future, past, future, and all the ego that's involved in that is very, very strong. But if you make the intention, you do get better at it. So the intention then, uh, when you sit down, is to be present and to abandon the movement of past and future, past and future. So make that intention quite clear when you meditate. Uh, then if you use the body, the body is something that is not proliferating. The body can't create the future, only thought can, thought and emotion. So if you, if you pay attention to the body in somewhere, it, some way, it'll help you develop this quality of presence. And the quality of awareness that we're trying to cultivate in the present is one which is free from desire. So it's something of non-desire. So the language I found very, very helpful is to, to, quality, to, to develop that quality of attention is to bring up the language of non-desire. And so, you know, some of you who have been practicing with me, you know, I use, I use language like non-becoming. Non-becoming. I find that very helpful because my, throughout my monastic life, I'm always trying to become enlightened, right? which is very much based on a sense of self and who I want to be in time, which is avijja, which is ignorance. So because there's that habit, which is, you know, pretty obvious for a, a monk to, to kind of get caught up into that, then then the language of non-becoming helps me to see the tendency of trying to get something, trying to attain something, trying to get back an experience I had last week or last month or last year. Non-becoming. Now that's not a demand that I shouldn't think about the future. It's just to, to notice that the quality of attention, when it is in the mode of becoming, it's not really aware of the present moment. It has an agenda, and that agenda... Uh, disturbs the mind in a sense of stress, and it doesn't allow the, the authentic present to, to, to reveal itself. So non-becoming, for me, is a very good way of, of, of considering bhava-tanha. Of the three types of craving, we have bhava-tanha, one of the three, and that's the whole sense of becoming. So when I put that language into my own practice, non-becoming, right, then that becomes like a mirror to the mind which is trying to become something. So that helps me settle in the present moment. In the same way, the, the ideas about vibhava tanha or, or, or uh, repression or getting rid of or annihilating that whole aspect of desire, uh, I put in non-resistance. So if I'm feeling discomfort or um, there's a lot of thoughts coming up for some reason because of something I've been planning and so on, non-resistance, knowing it. Because the, uh, the tendency then of some things in the mind is to try to get rid of them 
pain, discomfort, restlessness, thought, emotion, and, and that's not an, an attention which is, which is pure, it's filled with desire, desire to get rid of. So, non-resistance. So I find those two, non-becoming, non-resistance, I just pop them into my mind every now and then, and that shows me if I'm trying to grasp something, and it helps me to be in the present moment. Um, the two words I used, I think, last week were watchfulness and availability. Now, that, that language I find helpful. So it's, a, it's a lot of words, but actually they're not analytical words. It's just a word I pop in as a suggestion, like a, like a coach might do to the tennis player um, to, be more, uh, to move more quickly or something like that. You're, you're kind of coaching yourself with just a few words. It's not a lot of, it's not a lot of thinking. It's just like you're dropping a word into, into consciousness to help you balance out the way you practice. So watchfulness, for me, is a very good word, because watchfulness is not about desire. I'm not watching for something. I don't really care what's going on. It's just being watchful. And available is, is a good word for me because uh, the kind of tendency to preoccupy with thought or, or with some idea of I want to get something, that preoccupation also precludes the possibility of knowing the authentic presence. Hmm? So I, this is language I use, but what, does that make sense to you? How do you... How, in your meditation practice, do you cultivate uh, uh, an attitude which is present and awake, but without desire, non-desire, non-desire is what we're practicing. So those, those are some ideas, and I'll, I'll pop them in during this meditation. Language is important. If you use language well, you can, you can, you can recollect insights you've already had. If you just use language in a way of trying to repeat some, like perform something that you did before, that's the that's wrong use, because that's still desire. So this language is more like you, you get some understanding about your own practice, about your own mind, and you get a word for it. So I like non-becoming was a very good word when I, when I, and it's not uncommon, but it was a very good word for me. And then I, when I popped it into my mind, I could see that tendency, so I would suggest develop your own word, not, not as just thinking all the time, but a, a word which enhances your awareness. And this would be part of right thinking or right thought, coming from right understanding, right? Coming from somebody. So I thought we could do some body meditation during this meditation. So what I'll do is I will um, bring attention to bodily feeling and the language I use again, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you to make conscious the feeling in certain parts of the body. So I don't want you to focus on that part of the body like you're really concentrating. Let's not use the word concentration for now, but let's use like awakening. Let's use that word. And when, notice like if, if I ask you to listen to sound now, and you listen to sound, sound becomes conscious, doesn't it? All right? But you're not trying to get a sound. You're not trying to get rid of a sound. So it's non-desire. It's in the present moment. And the same thing with the body. If I say to you, um, notice, uh, make, become aware of your right shoulder. And then you localize your attention on your right shoulder and all of a sudden you feel heat or pressure. And that helps you to be aware. 
So you're not concentrating on the shoulder to get rid of thought, but you're awakening to some bodily function that's there all the time, and then you're sustaining that awareness with that bodily uh, feeling for a span, and then moving on. So each iteration of this, each time you do that, the mind settles into the present moment. Now, what's very important in body meditation is to, to make conscious the, the feelings in the, in the sense organs, in the, in the mouth, the, the, the nose, the, the uh, ears, the eyes, especially the eyes. The eyes hold a lot of tension. You'll find that, you, you know, the, 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 in, in meditation, you'll find that if you're really trying to see something, say, or discover something, or find or get an experience, your eyes will get tense. So being aware of the eyes as an object in awareness is a very helpful practice. So in this, what I'll, what I'll do is I'll, I'll ask, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of localize our attention in the face and then in the head and the shoulders, the chest, and go through the body. And then the language I like to use is then let go of the localization and bring a sense of whole body awareness. So what I'm asking is there is that you, 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 you kind of step out and see the body as a changing experience of sensations in awareness. And you begin to see that you're not really the body. Awareness knows the body. So that's what I'd like us to come to. So that's a lot, but let's, let's give it a go. So I'll set the clock for, say, 25 or 20 minutes, and uh, take a posture that is uh, comfortable and that you can hold for a while. And it's, it's very important to try to get a comfortable posture, otherwise you're always, you know, you're struggling with pain and so on. So close your eyes and, and, and bring attention to the present moment. And make, make that intention to know the present moment. So start with something simple that's going on now. Start with, start with sound. Listen to sound. It doesn't really matter what the sound is. What we're cultivating is a quality, a quality of awareness or a quality of attention. So you're watchful, available, and you know, you know sounds like this. Non-becoming, present. Bring your, bring your attention to your face. Localize your attention at your mouth. Let the feelings in the mouth become conscious. So it's a, a receptive awareness, watchful, available. So you start to feel your tongue. Your teeth the lips, let that become conscious. So when you do this, your mind begins to settle into the present moment. And bring attention to your ears, 
the outer structures of the ears. Let that become conscious. Let it come to you. So it might be very obvious. There might be nothing much there. But the quality of attention is what's important. Not the object of experience. The quality of attention. So the ears, let them become conscious. Localize your attention at the nose and let the feelings in the bridge of the nose, nostrils, let that become conscious. Now, don't squeeze your eyes looking for your nose. That's quite common to do that, but just allow the feelings to become conscious. Again, the quality of experience is not what we're, we're concerned about. It's the quality of, of attention. Watchful, available. Now bring it, localize your attention around the eye. Feel the eye socket. And the eyes themselves. And notice that the eyes are objects in awareness. Feelings in the eyes are changing in awareness. Non-becoming, present, non-resistant. Bring attention to your temples. Let that become conscious. The top of your head. And the back of your head. And feel your neck. Make conscious the feelings of the front and back of the neck. And then notice the whole head as a mass of changing vibrations and sensations. And 
and the head is in awareness. The feelings in the head are in awareness. Attention to your shoulders, upper arms, lower arms, and hands. Each time we're doing the same thing, receptive awareness, quality of attention, the object changes, but the quality of attention is what we're training in. Watchful, available. Go to the chest area, feel your ribs. And the organs, the lungs and the heart in the chest area. Let it become conscious. The abdominal area, the skin, the lower spine, the organs, the stomach and liver and kidneys and so on, intestines, let that become conscious. So it really doesn't matter what you feel, if you feel a lot or not, or if it's painful or pleasant, the quality of attention what is important. Watchful, available. Pelvic area, the pelvic bones and the organs in the pelvic area. Feel the hips and the thighs and the knees, lower legs and feet. Let that become conscious. Now feel the whole body, step away from any localization, feel the whole body as a mass of changing vibrations, temperatures, pressures, allow it to change and notice that that changing bodily feelings are in awareness. Now change the sense door, listen to sound, 
Notice that sound is in awareness. Whole body feeling. Change of sense door. Notice that that is in awareness. And notice that awareness is unchanging. So that sets up the, 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 the meditation. And from that attitude, you can choose an object of meditation to train in this quality of attention. So if you want, uh, use the breath. Watchful, available for one in-breath and one out-breath. So we're aware with the breath, with bodily feeling. So let's try those ideas quietly and for the rest of the meditation.
And at the end, you want to do the honors? Hi, everyone. Uh, we'll now formally request for a Dhamma talk. Brahma Chaloka Dipati Sahampati Katanjali You want to ask for the Dhamma talk? Or I'll talk anyway. <laughs> ah, and the floor can you hear me? Can you hear me, Lumpo? Lumpo, can you hear us? Hey, maybe it goes on. Lumpo, you're muted. Press the mute on your phone. Unmute it. How's that? Can you hear me now? Yes. Very good. Now? Okay. Okay. But can I can't hear, me? hear you. Can you so hear again, us? Are you, are you talking? Yes. You know what we'll do? We'll we'll hang up and call in. Don't leave. Okay. All right. Take a break. Be right back. Can you unmute me? You are unmuted. Okay, great. How's the sound now? Yes, we can hear you. Can you hear us? Oh, is it, is it too loud or too soft? No, it's just right. Just right. Okay, let's try again. Okay. Sincere. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I can hear you well. Yes, please. Rama. Chaloka Tipati Sahampati Katanjaliha Tiwaraya Chata Sandi Dasata Namo Tassa, Pakawato, Arahato, Sama, Samputasa, 
namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma samputassa uttang dhammang sankhang namasami So again, nice to be with you. Hope you're all okay. We're, we're, uh, we're in pretty good shape here. Uh, the weather's fine, and I'm feeling fine, and I'm happy to be with you. So these, these ideas I, I presented um, are, are things that work for me. So remember, uh, any, uh, any teacher, any person that's sharing the Dhamma, it's, it's for, for you to consider and see if it works for you. It's not kind of absolutes, but what I, one of the things I was trying to indicate there, obviously, was that, that, that for me, there's a difference between concentration and cultivating uh, awareness. Now, I have to be aware to concentrate, but sometimes I can concentrate and um, hold on to an object and exclude everything else, which I need to do sometimes. But I, the, the idea about meditation is that it sets up uh, an attitude in consciousness or awareness itself so that you can um, discover the, the, the spiritual realization that the Buddha had. And as long as, and I often talk about this, as long as your attention is on objects, which you need to do sometimes, as long as your attention is out, as it were, into sound or sight or experience or emotion or thought, then you're not available for the Buddha's realization. It's only when you can uh, abide with awareness and non-desire and what we call non-attachment. Now, I, I, I find in myself the, the words non-attachment, non-grasping, they're, they're very common words, and Buddhism, most of you know them. Um, and then I, I found from other teachers this, a different way, maybe, of describing non-attachment, watchfulness, and availability. It's the same idea. I mean, you can see when, when, you're, when you're preoccupied with worry or with uh, fascination or fantasies or resentments or you want to buy something on the internet or you want to go shopping, online shopping, whatever, your mind is preoccupied. And that's not immoral, it's not against precepts, but that preoccupation precludes a possibility of realizing what the Buddha realized. Now sometimes we, you know, we're, we're very modest and we say, well, I can, never, I can never realize these things, I'm, you know, I can only do this and that, but actually you can. <laughs> so change your mindset. Change your mindset to something very, very optimistic. And, and Buddhism is a very optimistic teaching. You have to be realistic, right? So the realism is, is a sense that, well, this practice is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So you've got to do at least one lifetime. That's the way we think in Buddhism. So if you, if you have that kind of long-range sense, okay, uh, I have these uh, preoccupations and attachments which my attention gets caught up into, I'm going to work on that. And that's where you put your, your intention, is to how can, I, how can I just let go of the mind which is always thinking about the future? What would I need to do? What kind of language would I need to introduce to do that? What kind of practices? And then you do it. You, know, you do it for 10, 20, 30 years, right? Because these are powerful, powerful habits. And, and the way, the way you, 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 one of the ways you do that is through right thinking. So last week I was saying that around lifestyle or, or um, 
right livelihood, say, the, the way you live your life, if you use just two simple, those two simple phrases, to do as much good as you can and to do as little harm as possible, and you use that as a thought, and that's not like an ego thought where, oh, I have to be a good person or I'm a not a good person. That, that's not really right thinking, that's ego thinking. But just a suggestion to your own life, life momentum, let us say, the way, the way you're traveling in this particular incarnation, you just say, I'm going to do as much good as I can and as little harm as possible. Now, what does that do? That creates a mirror, to me at least, that if, if I'm just in a very critical mood, right? I mean, I got off on the wrong side of my meditation cushion or something, and I'm in, a, I'm in a critical mood and grumpy or something like that. That grumpiness is going to create a certain kind of ego, grumpy ego, <laughs> and they're going to be grumpy thoughts. Now, if I'm heedless, and then I, you know, I just dump it on my brothers and I, and I load it off, then they're afraid of me, or they don't feed me or something, <laughs> or, or uh, I feel guilty or whatever. So it gets very complicated and I get preoccupied because I was attached to grumpiness. But then I can feel threatened by that mood too. So rather than feeling threatened or following it, if I just say, I'm not going to use speech to harm anyone. I'm going to do as much good as I can. And you keep reiterating that. You become very mindful of, of, of impulses which are harmful, and impulses which are beneficial. You act on the beneficial, you, restrain, you, you refrain from acting on the harmful, and you have a beautiful life as much as possible. It's a marathon, right? So sometimes the, the negative things do overwhelm you, and you say foolish things, you do foolish things, and you start again. So the way you do it. But it's, very, it's a very powerful use of thought. I'm going to do as much good as possible and as little harm as possible. And you keep introducing right thinking into the mind gives you direction. It gives you, gives you a sense of, of how to do this. So that's lifestyle. And each, each of you has a different predicament. You have family, you have a job, you have no job, you have, uh, you're working from home, most people. So each of, you know, one can't really describe you know, what you have to do like specifically, but you can see that that attitude is very, very helpful. That's just just to try to be a good person and, and to, to realize that, 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 that you're going to fail and it's not going to work and you're going to say foolish things, but that's all right too. You just try again. So it doesn't get into a kind of huge self-disparagement and self-criticism and self-analysis, all that thinking. Now, so, so going back to this, this uh, meditation, um, I find... I find this body meditation very, very interesting because um, my, my emotional life registers in thought and narrative thought, and, but also registers in my body, doesn't it? So if, if I've had a, uh, some kind of encounter or, or, or some memory comes up, it comes up in thinking, and that thinking is about a sense of me, a sense of past and future, but bodily feeling, bodily feeling itself, um, is, is not past and future, it's just the resultant karma of my emotions and my history and my habits. And when I, when I abide as witness to bodily feeling, then what, what, what happens is the whole sense of attachment to my history, uh, to past and future, to body, that sense of uh, personality and attachment to personality, that doesn't get triggered. I don't... I don't, uh, I don't engage it. And as I don't engage it, 
All that thinking, that preoccupation with thought, past, future, who I am, what I should be, what I was, that begins to recede, goes into the quietness of the mind. And, and, and that's very hard to do, isn't it? It's very hard to not be preoccupied with thought. So you, you know, and, and not that thought is wrong, right thinking is necessary, but this preoccupation with thought that we, we so habitually get caught up into is, is usually just around a sense of self, a sense of I or personality. And it's habitual, isn't it? And it goes in cycles and it goes in the same boring cycles very, very often. So then rather than arguing that you shouldn't be thinking, which is more thinking, you, you, you just sh- shift your attention to another sense door, which is the body. And, and you, you begin to train in that with your emotions or with the narratives of your life or your family. You begin to really train that the body, the body feels this way. Brings you to the present. And if you have, if you have cultivated uh, in meditation a sense of non-desire, non-becoming, uh, then your attention has this kind of purity. Even though the experience is, is unpleasant. You can have unpleasant emotions going through your consciousness and still practice non-grasping, awareness of change, non-becoming. So it's really not about the quality of your emotional life or the quality of your physical life even, if you have pain or pleasure. It's not about that because all of those are contingent and they are not Nibbana. They're not peace. They're changing. They're dependently originated. So if you learn to be aware of negativity as an object and don't buy into the desire to get rid of it or analyze it or fix it or all that stuff that we get into, just, just know it, live by sila and dana, but just know it, then what you're doing is all that, that sense of a person uh, being identified with all these emotions, that you, you stop believing in that. And as you stop believing in that, you realize that actually silence and presence and stillness is always there if I make myself available. Right? So then it's not like just you trying to sort your emotions out and be a perfect Buddhist. That's, that's a disaster. <laughs> it, it doesn't work. I think we've all tried that. You just feel guilty after a while. Who could be perfect, right? But that's not what the Buddha is saying. The Buddha is saying that... Um, do good, refrain from doing harm, purify the heart. How do you purify the heart? Non-grasping. So my own experience, of, and I often talk about this, my own experience has been profoundly involved with fear, social fear, anxiety, self-disparagement, shyness. All those have been very, very powerful commas that I've had to work through. And, uh, and, and I just had to, fortunately, I have very, very good teachers who said, well, you're just going to have to you have to be patient. This isn't going to end just by some meditation technique. This is strong kamma. And so over the years, just being aware of unpleasantness of doubt, the unpleasantness of fear, the unpleasantness of, of shyness, and just knowing, oh, this feels terrible, and it's like that. This feels horrible, and it's like that. What does that do? It does, it, 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 it does two things, as I always say. It enhances awareness, which brings you to silence, and it disempowers or uh, takes out the fuel of all that self in this particular example of shyness and fear and social anxiety. So I'm no longer fueling those through thought, personality view, but what I am is I'm encouraging a simple attitude of watchfulness, availability. And if I can do that with very negative things, 
Then when it's positive, it's very easy. It's very, very easy because nature is beautiful. I can be with beauty. And so there's a kind of building of strength very often around the very, very um, real uh, karmic forces that you have to endure and witness as a human being. If you have children, you might be really fearful for their future or, or maybe your children have been ungrateful to you so you feel huge resentment or maybe you have some sickness or whatever. These are all objects in awareness. And, and, our, and our task, I would think, is the, the quality of attention is the same uh, for both uh, a happy state of mind and an unhappy state of mind. Now, obviously, I would prefer happy states of mind and I do as much as is reasonably possible within my life to have comfort and, and beauty. That's fine. That's not against the rules, right? But that's not, that's not the raison d'etre of my life because I know it's contingent. I know it's, it's, it's dependent on other things. I don't dismiss it. You know, I don't like put salt in my coffee. I like sugar in my coffee. So I put sugar in my coffee. I'm not going to punish myself for liking sugar. Now, sometimes people get into that. They think, oh, you're a bad monk. You like sugar in your coffee or something stupid like that. But that's, that's just pleasure. Pleasure is pleasure. Pain is pain. So that's fine, as long as we don't hurt anybody and we're, and we're not just hedonistic. But, but, but what we're curious about is what, what did the Buddha realize? And that kind of, that, that, the, the, the gateway to that, as I think I was saying this last week, that, again, I think it's a good analogy, that, that a gateway, like, if there's a door, you look at a door in your room, the room you're in. Now that door gives access to the space outside and the inside. It's a gateway, right? Which is it? Is it in the room or not in the room? Is it in the hall or not in the hall? We're in the hall, the, the door looks like it's in the hall. We're in the room, the door looks like it's in the room. In the same way, awareness has access both to the conditioned and the unconditioned. It has access to change and to the unchanging. And abiding in awareness, in this quality of watchfulness, availability, is very, very difficult because, because we're so drawn by the object. We're drawn by pleasure and pain, by interesting things, by frightening things, our attention goes out. Not immoral. It's not wrong to do that. But it does not allow us, it does not, uh, it, 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 we're not available. We're not available. So we have to stand in the doorway. And as we stand in the doorway of awareness, we begin to intuit, wait, wait, wait. It's not there. It's, it's back here. It's, it's the awareness itself which is important. It's not the experience. And as we get that, we get more and more confidence that, yeah, that is the path. It's awareness of change. And this lovely confidence begins to come up, even in the midst of old negative karma and family difficulties and, and pain. You realize, well, that is refuge. And that's doorway. And, and that's the possibility. You have to, quite often this is very difficult because it seems so subtle and yet it's still very, very obvious. So you take simple... Teachings like, like Lompo Semedo and, and, you know, like he says, it's like this. Actually, if you do that, if you really do that sincerely, not as just, oh, yeah, Lompo Semedo says it's like this, but you actually do it, your mind becomes silent. But you have to do it. It's like this. And then your mind is silent, listening, knowing. And then you have to do it again. And then you have to do it again. And that's not becoming, is it? It's not like you're becoming someone who is a Buddha or enlightened. No, no. 
you're, you're, you're realizing that moment of awakening. You're realizing it. You know it. Oh, yeah. That's it. That's the path. And you do it again and again and again. So it, I, would, I would, like, in, in your meditation, I would ask you to look at, are you just trying to control the emotions and, and make the mind tranquil and so on? That's fine. But then when you step out of the meditation, is the quality of awareness there for you to engage in complexity? Or are you just dependent on some kind of suppression of thought, suppression of emotion? The, the, the meditation should become more and more seamless. Sure, the meditation experience is perhaps more unpleasant than the cacophony of a traffic jam, sure. But the awareness doesn't change. You can have a, a, a silent environment for meditation and, and a horrible traffic jam in Bangkok, but awareness knows both, doesn't it? And that's what you want to consider in your own meditations. Are you trying to get some experience that you had last week in last year, or are you using the breath and life's experience to cultivate this watchful, available, non-attachment, puru, now is the knowing, it's like this, many ways to talk about it. All right, there's some, some ideas. We're at 8 o'clock, perhaps... Uh, Oh, you wanted to do the Anamota now, and then we'll do Q&A? Just a short talk, huh? Uh, yes, Longpo. Uh, let's all say three sadhus together. Andamayam ovadatamakadhayo Sadhu kahankadamase Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu Time for Q&A. If you'd like to ask a question, please raise your digital hand on your control panel and you'll be unmuted. You're invited to ask Lompo any questions. Okay, Rampo, we have the first one, Kat from Hong Kong. Hi, Ajahn. Um, thank Hi. you for the guided meditation and the talk uh, today. Um, I have been uh, trying to understand a little bit more about the uh, Noble Eightfold Path. Um, sorry. Um, and um, uh, I would like to ask uh, Lompo a little bit more about uh, practicing um, right mindfulness. So what I've read is that there is sort of um, a, a component of tranquility um, inside right samadhi. Um, and uh, for me, it's... It, it's in the past is not very clear about that tranquility um i would like to understand a little bit more about practicing right um samadhi um so thank you well the instruction i was giving was right mindfulness 
And um, if you if you take samadhi as being meditation, so meditation enhances mindfulness, presence. So you 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 take an object which is uh, ordinary, and you learn how to compose your mind on that ordinary object, like the breath. So your mind, rather than being scattered into thinking, it composes itself on the body. So if you if you do what I asked you to do today for the next five years, you'll understand. But the the real the real insight comes from doing it a lot. If you if you read the books a lot, you'll get more questions. So you have to just sit down and and experiment with your own mind and look at what is what is not tranquility. Look at your confusion or doubt, but don't go too much to the reading. Go go to the cushion. Go to the zafu. Sit down and just just choose the breath, whatever technique you want, and just learn how to be present for half an hour. But you have to do it a lot. You know, if you if you think that um, you you do five minutes of meditation and six hours of reading, you'll get more confused. I would suggest five minutes of reading and six hours of meditation. That's probably going to be uh, a better balance. But meditation is very uh, difficult to craft to learn. It is like a craft. And whatever skills you have, maybe you're into IT or you you do code or you're a great chef or whatever. Think about any skill that you have or your friends have. It takes a lot of hours. It takes a lot of hours to actually become good at it. So I would suggest sit down twice a day, half hour at least. Um, make make your space quiet and and just see see if you can be composed and collected on one in breath composed and corrected on one outbreath. And so see, samadhi is just a calming of the mind, a collectedness of the mind, a sense of being, and then see, see uh, mindfulness is, is a sense of presence, ongoing presence of the way things are. Keep it simple. Don't get too complicated. And you get lots of commentaries about what samadhi is. Don't go too much into that. That's maybe 20 years from now. <laughs> but for now, just learn how to meditate. Learn how to be with yourself, learn how to be non-distracted, uh, learn how to close down the internet, uh, close down the books and just be with yourself for half an hour and with the breath. Then you learn, you learn. That's the way you really learn. It's like, like if you want to learn how to play tennis, you've got to pick up the racket and ball and hit the ball around a bit. You can't, you can't read about it. So don't worry too much about the definition, but give it a go. Give it a go. Make a discipline for yourself. At least... If you're not doing half hour a day, um, why? You think about it, like half hour is nothing in our lives, and half hour on the internet that goes by like like nothing, and yet half hour in meditation can be seems to be like a huge deal. So you have to invest time into it. You have to be, you know, if you're going to ask questions about Buddhism, you have to be serious about putting in putting in the effort. And and meditation is like it's not easy. It's it's quite a difficult uh, most. Most monks I know don't find meditation easy. We all come to it with our own difficulties. So it's a, it requires a kind of determination, and maybe more than determination, it requires interest. You want to be interested in why you can't be peaceful, why you can't be present. What is it about your mind? And, and training your mind to be with the body, to be present. So give it a go. Okay, any other? Uh, one more question from Ting, uh, Singapore. 
thank you, Lampo, today for the guided seat and the, the short uh, so-called um, Dharma talk. I wanted to talk about specifically the meditation that you were sharing today um, about using certain words like non-becoming. I, I would like to understand um, in a sitting experience that when a certain kind of body experience comes up during meditation, like discomfort, for example, just now in the sitting, um, uh, there were pins and needles, for, for, for instance. So it is discomforting, it's uncomfortable, and then you have to remember to follow the breath. But yet you know the mind is paying attention to the pins and needles, which is uncomfortable. And then the mind starts to wonder how long the meditation is going to last. But then awareness helps you to remember, just go back to the breath. So this is one thing that I want to ask. How do you um, be kind to whatever that comes up during meditation and even when you're off the cushion mat, sometimes when we're doing our uh, roles in life, certain emotions come up very strong and it gets uh, felt in the body and you recognize maybe you're worried about something, some past or future. But then when you try to stay with that strong emotion which is felt in the body part, you are not quite sure how to slowly release that energy, that emotion that you can locate in your body. So um, seeking for some kind of uh, guidance <laughs> through this. Yeah, thank you. So let's try the, the, the sitting meditation. Um, so if, you, if you're cultivating awareness, you're not, you're not, you don't have to follow the breath all the time and exclude bodily feeling. It's part of it. So what you get very good at is, is seeing where desire comes up within, within your conscious experience. So as you start to feel pins and needles, you'll, you'll be starting to resist that. The Baba Tanha, you want to get rid of that. And that will create the thought. So if you're, if you're, if you look at meditation as a balance, the balance of non-desire, and then becoming is like trying to get something or try to achieve something, trying to figure something out. And then the other resistance is trying to get rid of or not wanting something. And, and, and your attention is on the balance of non-desire. Then as you're, as you're meditating with the breath and you start to feel discomfort, you'll see the resistance to it. You'll know that as, so there's not only the pins and needles, the desire not to have the pins and needles, which is biological, and because you're, 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 you're practicing the balance point, the balance point of non-desire, then you'll, you'll notice this resistance to this pain. And maybe you'll try to go back to the breath so that you don't feel the pain. And then you'll get really confused because your return to the breath is in order not to feel the pain. And then you're a mess. And then you start to think. And then you get up and have some tea <laughs> because it hurts. So what you want to do is you realize, if you, if you study the Four Noble Truths, realize Third Noble Truth is non-desire or non-attachment. So you try to train yourself in this balance point of non-desire. So then when you start to feel physical pain uh, in, in, in the leg, say, 
then you can move if you want, but you can say, oh, non-desire or non-resistance, and you'll see the desire to try to get rid of it. And once you get very good at that, then physical discomfort comes, and if it's really bad, you move. But if it's not really bad, your mind remains in the, in the still center of non-desire. Okay? And that's something you learn. You learn to do a lot. So each, each time you feel discomfort, you learn this lesson again until you get very, very good at it. Huh? And, and, and so that's why I use the word non-resistance. So you pop it in, and then you see, I don't want this pain. And, and that's when you start to look at the clock, and then you think, how long is this going to be? Because that's desire. Desire is what creates time and self and, and, and all the thinking there. So the, the awareness is with non-desire, huh? Non, non-becoming, non-resistance. So if that's what you're doing, then as you go into complexity of life and, and there's some emotion comes up, the same balance of non-desire is what you're trying to do. So you're now at, um, uh, you know, you're at some, some, you have some, uh, what, let's say, you're in a, in a shop and, 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 and someone elbows you to get at the mangoes more quickly than you or something like that. <laughs> and and, uh, and you, start to, you, know, you start to feel tense. Well, that tension is, is natural. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's just being a biological being. But you're, you've cultivated this awareness of non-desire. So you're not even asking that you don't feel the tension. You know, oh, tension feels this way. And then if you're good at it, the tension falls away. And if you have to say something, you can say something or leave or whatever. That's the social in- environment. So the more you can practice non-desire around the breath, around, around discomfort, I say it's a very good lesson. Because discomfort is not, you know, it's not life-threatening. You know you're not going to get hurt. So you begin to, you begin to say to yourself, oh, when, when, when discomfort comes up, I'm going to see what's the desire. What's the desire? And you observe the desire to get rid of. That means you're using the Four Noble Truths, that the cause of suffering is attachment to desire, and then the end of suffering is letting go of desire. Now, biologically, you have pain so that you move, naturally. But you know, when you, as a meditator, you know, well, pins and needles, it's no big deal. And you learn, oh, this is a negative experience, but I can be aware of that too. It feels this way. How can I practice non-desire with physical pain? And, and it changes, it changes very much. So the more you do that, uh, this kind of still point of non-desire in the center of the heart, the more you do that, that's going to kind of begin to play out in the complexity of life, around the complex emotions and so on. Uh, so it's not so much as uh, figuring it out, it, it is very much of just doing it again and again and again and again. So, so that attitude, that, that beautiful attitude becomes a, 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 a strong skill that is that it just clicks in whenever anything happens because that's what you've been doing. That's why formal meditation is so important. If you don't take the time to be quiet and with yourself and learn about these things, you never develop those strengths because you're always sort of distracted. So it does, it does require that. And, and the curiosity. So I would say back to your question, when you feel discomfort, look at desire. What is the desire now? And see that desire is an object as well. And if you don't know it as an object, you become the subject of desire. You look at the clock, you think this is too long, I'm going to leave, and you, and you stop meditating. So you're kind of stepping back, oh, desire feels this way. Then you're practicing the Four Noble Truths. Right? One Lampo. more, Vita, or? 
We have two more Four. questions. Can we take two more questions? Oh, yes, please, happily. Ben from Australia. Hey, Ben. Hi, Lumpur. Uh, I got a question on the uh, guided meditation that you have just taken us through. Thank you for that. Um, as, uh, as I was going through the body scanning, uh, some thoughts came to my head, like when I was uh, uh, observing the, let's say, the top of my head, uh, I was curious to know whether it is okay to mix it with uh, some breathing, like I, you know, I kind of uh, uh, supplemented by saying, uh, uh, you know, uh, breathing in, experiencing top of the head, breathing out, experiencing top of the head, and then kind of progressively going from part to part. So question is, by supplementing like breathing in or uh, uh, calming uh, the top of the head, you know, um, is, this, is this part of the becoming or is this part of the desire rather than okay. just observing the top of the head? Thank you, Rampo. What was, Dan, what was the result? Wonderful. Well, then you did it. Congratulate yourself. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> the, the main thing, the main thing, Ben, is to trust yourself. Thank and, you. And you know, we have we have wisdom, we have intuitions, and there's something, you know, you, you're following this old monk's instruction, and you well, I'll try something, you know, put my own little jazz on it. Fine. The thing is, try it. Does it work? If it works, why? And then keep doing it. So what, when you discover something which is effective. And, and, and helps you to sustain awareness in the present moment, then, then cultivate that. That's what, that's what your own innate wisdom is about. And just see the results. If the results is wonderful, then wonderful. But do be careful. The next time you sit down, do not look for wonderful. Because if you look for wonderful, you'll get dreadful. Because <laughs> that's what desire will do. It'll try to recreate wonderful and it won't be wonderful, it'll be the way it is, and then you'll get, you know, you'll resist. So developing effective techniques without desire is very important. So you're not trying to repeat a performance. You're not trying to perform something that you performed last time, but you're seeing that with these skillful means applied in this particular way, I get a wholesome, calm result. That's what you, that's where the repetition comes. It doesn't come from the desire to recreate uh, a wonderful experience, although I, I wish you well in that, <laughs> the way you do that. But be, be, be encouraged then, it works. That's what's important. Um, the last question is from oh. Ting Yin from uh, Malaysia. Hello. Hi, Long Paul. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for all the guidance over the, the past few months, I think on Zoom. Um, I'd like to ask about awareness. Um, since your guidance, um, I've been trying to practice being aware of awareness a bit more. Sometimes it's easier and sometimes it's not. And I think you hinted that sometimes there are times that the mind needs to kind of be on an object to kind of settle perhaps, to, to maybe concentrate. 
And also you, you've said just now that awareness is unchanging, but I also find that my, my awareness of the awareness is changing. So I wonder if you can clarify with that too, the awareness of the awareness. Think, what you mean by if you if you think about you're meditating right mm. and uh, your mind starts to think about tomorrow and then someone in the family yells out or you hear something and all of a sudden you know that you know correct mm. and that knowing that you know is really the the basis of awareness or is the heart of awareness you know that you know so the question is. How can you sustain or remember that, that moment of awakening where you know that you know? Huh? And it's very, it's very simple, actually, isn't it? All, we all have it. We can be lost. Even, even if you're thinking for the whole half hour of the meditation, when the bell rings, you know that you know, unless you're really lost. <laughs> but most of us know that we know, right? You're awake. And, and that's, that's the point of, of the awakened mind. And in that, you'll find there's no, there's no personality. There isn't the whole thinking of it. It's just awake. And that's what you want to cultivate. So that, what happens is you notice that, and then you try to get it as an object. You know, I want to get that experience of I know that I know. And then you're lost because you're looking for something. But it's not a thing. It's just awareness itself. And then you get lost. <laughs> And then you start thinking, you feel frustrated, and then you stop, and then, oh, I know that I know. Huh? So, so it's a very, it's a very, uh, it's so close to us, it's so close to us that we, we uh, get caught in the desire to get it when we don't. It's letting, that's why the Thai way or Lompa Cha, let go, let go into this present moment, non-grasping, non-attachment, non-becoming, non-resistance. That's a, all that language is pointing to this, this, this ineffable, I know that I know know that you know. Huh? So then I would, I would say, the, 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 don't worry about my definitions of awareness, it's not changing and so on. That just gets you into doubt and thinking. But take that moment, that gap, where you know that you know, the gap between thoughts and, 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 and compulsive thinking, and say, well, what's that about? And just listen and know and know. And, 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 and don't try to find that with desire, because desire is about objects. This isn't an object. So to let it go, and 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 then then learn to use a simple, like I use sound a lot, as you know, uh, to remember that. So just listen to sound. Oh, I know that I know. It's not complicated. It's not, I, and 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 that's why I use the word receptive rather than concentration or holding or grasping. I use receptive. It's just thought. It's just language. But like receptive awareness of sound, I let it come to me. I know that I know, right? Sounds very neutral. I'm not trying to get a particular sound, whatever sound. It doesn't matter if it's chainsaws or robins or thunder and lightning or nothing. It doesn't matter. I know that I know. And that's what you're trying to turn to. So I suggest using sound and just let the sound come to you and get, get familiar with that. Bodily feeling, these kinds of things. All right? That's all the questions for today, Lampong. Okay, very nice. So shall we, shall we finish by chanting a tipiso again three times? Yes, okay. Oh, may I just one announcement, if I may. On the 7th of, of August and on the 21st of August, Ajahn Pavro will be taking this meeting 
many of you know him. He's taught in Malaysia and, and, and Singapore. And he, he's a Canadian monk uh, who's been in Thailand the last 10 years, and he's, he's with us now. Lo- lovely teacher, lovely man, and we're very fortunate to have, have him with us. So he'll take the meeting on the, on the 7th and, and the 21st. Yeah? All right, so let's, let's finish by chanting Itipiso three times. <clears throat> Yeah, 